morning. It's so good to be out this morning with you. I hope uh, to our visitors, I'd like to say welcome, and I hope you have indeed felt welcome this morning. And as we have tried to encourage one another and fellowship one another in song and in prayer and, and in the scripture, I, I hope you have felt as encouraged as I have. This morning, I want to look, I want to spend some time in the book of Acts. The book of Acts covers a great deal of history of the church, and if you've had the wonderful opportunity to, to be here on Wednesday nights, you know we've, we've been studying the early church in Carl's class, and, and he's done a great job focusing our minds and, and guiding our minds through the way the early church functioned, the things they did, uh, and the book of Acts gives us a great deal of history on this, but it goes a step farther even. It brings up some other points about the early church, about life and Christianity at, at its infancy that uh, we might not have been aware of. It talks about the rising opposition as Christianity w- was, was really in its birth. It talks about the harsh penalties that were for people that were of the way, um, up to and including death, a de- a penalties that many paid in these early days. It talks about time spent in jail, Time spent away from families scattered from their homes. And it covers the spread of the gospel of Jesus. It covers that as it was spread to the Jews first. It covers it as it was then taken to the Gentiles. And it gives us several accounts of conversion that we can pattern our own lives after. And that's this morning what I would like to focus on. I would like to focus on one of these accounts and in future studies, I hope that maybe we can spend more time in the various other accounts because there's so many things we can learn from these conversions that are recorded for us in Acts. But this morning, I'd like to just focus on one. So if you would, go ahead and get your Bibles out, open them up to the, the book of Acts, and we're going to be spending some time in the 8th chapter. And as you open there, there's something else I'd like to tell you this morning. In the book of Acts, we see that God does some pretty amazing things with some pretty ordinary people. As we talked a little bit about in class this morning, he took a group of fishermen and spent some time with them and then turned them on out into the world to quite literally turn it upside down. We think of what these group, this group of fishermen actually went out and did. It, it's pretty amazing, and they were pretty ordinary. We see a, a Christian-hating murderer who, who was going around arresting and, and, and being there to help out with the stoning of Stephen and God takes this man and converts him into a bold evangelist who, who authored many of the books that we have in the New Testament. Again, something amazing from just an ordinary person. And we see that he took a single preacher and he used him to spread the gospel in, in Samaria and quite possibly all the way down into Ethiopia. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, I, I want to talk more, if you have opened your Bibles up to ver, uh, chapter 8, excuse me. If you've opened your Bibles up to chapter 8, go ahead and turn to verse 26. We're going to just kind of get comfortable right here. Just, just nestle yourself in because we're going to stay pretty much right in this, this, uh, this text the whole morning. Uh, verses 26 to the end of the chapter. And as we, as we spend some time here and we read these passages, I want to talk a little bit about the history of these passages, do a little bit of an overview overview, but I think there's also some great application that can come from these passages as well. So in verse 26 we read, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now stopping right here to notice, when it says this is desert, don't picture in your mind desert as in rolling hills of sand and barren wasteland and no water 
and, and nothing but camels and whatever else Hollywood has put into our minds when we think of desert. Don't focus that kind of desert. What was being talked about here was more along the lines of isolation. The road between Jerusalem and Gaza, it was, and still is today, a place where uh, vegetation grows very well. There's lots of water to supply that. There's lots of room for land, or for uh, livestock, excuse me. But there's not a lot of people that live in between these areas. This would have been, if you picture maybe a, a service road in the National Forest. So it's a road that you would go for long distances and see nobody. Uh, so it was very deserted. Uh, then in verse 27, So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. This eunuch, he's traveled great distances to be able to come to this point, to be able to, to come to Jerusalem and worship in the way God has prescribed. Uh, and in and, and trying to study for this, I tried to find the, that distance, and I found so many varying distances that this might have been, depending on maybe which route he had come. And the ultimate uh, thing that we can know from this is it was a great distance, ranging anywhere from 600 to 1,000 miles, one way that this man had come. And we're not talking about getting on a train and riding there. We're not talking about taking a plane and flying there. He had traveled in a chariot. Uh, he had traveled probably some portion by, by sea and then taken a chariot the rest of the way. This was a long trip that he had gone on to worship. And something else that we notice in verse 28 is now he is on his way home and he is studying the word of God. Let's remember that as well. Verse 30, so Philip ran to him, uh, excuse me, verse 29 yeah, verse 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? There's two things that I want us to focus on in this passage as well. The first is that Philip could hear the Ethiopian eunuch reading. He could hear him reading. This suggests that he was reading out loud. He wasn't just studying to himself. And this is such a good practice to do, to read out loud, to help you focus on the words that you're reading, focus on the content of what you're reading. But the second thing is that, that we see here is Philip had a little bit of a tact to his, uh, to his approach. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But we see that Philip was able to run upon him, to listen for a moment, and, and to ask this question. And a question that we'll see later, I think, was a very important question to ask. In verse 31, he says, uh, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scriptures which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And, he, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? of himself or of some other man. This passage is one thing that becomes abundantly clear. The eunuch didn't have an understanding of Jesus. He didn't know, either either didn't know who Jesus was or maybe knew but didn't understand the, the relationship between this passage and Jesus, possibly not believing. But more than likely, he was simply just ignorant of the Christ. And then verses 36 through, through the end of the chapter, they, they terminate, as does many of the other, in fact, all the other conversion accounts, in the book of Acts, they terminate with baptism. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? 
Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus, that is uh, Ashdod of the Old Testament. And, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now one more thing I want to point out before we go on. In verse 37, if you didn't have that in your Bible, and you kind of thought, what is he reading? Just be, uh, be aware that that verse has been left out of some translations. That verse, even in my tra- in the New King James, is has got an asterisk beside it pointing out that some manuscripts don't have that verse. But the idea taught there. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. It's found throughout the New Testament. We don't have to be concerned with the fact that verse 37 might not be in, in all of our manuscripts. But, uh, but just to be clear, if, if that verse was not in your, uh, in your translation, that's the reason why. So let's get to some application about these passages. It is commonly thought that Luke is the author of Acts, and I, and I would have to agree with that. But when we realize this, we have to stop and think, Luke's not in this, this account. Luke isn't here. We don't read, Philip and I went, or we don't read, we went. We read, Philip went. And one thing that's important for us to remember that is the fact that Luke was not an eyewitness, so for him to know this, Philip would have had to have told him. So we have to ask ourselves, Luke, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, recorded this for us. Why? Why did he decide that this thing, this account was so important that we would need to know this later? Why was this recorded? What is the takeaway for us from this passage? And that's what I hope to look at this morning. Now I want to notice that there are three things going on in this passage. And the first one being that we can see the providential working of God. And that's seen first off through, through the remarkable foreknowledge that, that we see in this passage. It's foreknowledge that's, that's limited, or not limited to, to just one instance, but to several things. The first one is the timing that we see in this passage. Notice in verse 26, God, uh, an angel of the Lord comes to Philip and says to go from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now as a side note, I want to notice that the angel of the Lord came to Philip and said to go. How many times today do we sometimes hear someone say, an angel of the Lord came to me and gave me this revelation? That's not in in conjunction with what we see in in the New Testament. If we look a few chapters over in Acts chapter 10, we see an angel of the Lord go to Cornelius and tells him to go find a preacher, to go to find Peter, send people to Peter. Again, we see that the, the idea is God is always looking for someone to go teach someone else about his word. He's, he works through that fashion. So God sends Philip on this mission, and he sends him from somewhere in Samaria. If we read back earlier in Acts 8, we read that Philip was in the city of Samaria, and that many were converted here. And, and the apostles start to see what's going on, and they send uh, John and Peter. They send John and Peter down, and they, they um, help to spread the, the gospel there. And at the end of, uh, of this passage in Acts 8, we see in verse 25 that when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now, we don't know for certain if Philip was with them going into all those villages or if he stayed in the city of Samaria. But either way, this land, this region, if we look at it on a map, if you have a map in the back of your Bible, Samaria is kind of up here and Jerusalem's here and then we have Gaza down here. Peter, excuse me, Philip was farther away from Gaza than the eunuch was. So, and when we think of the timing of these events, 
it is very, very possible that Philip was sent on his journey, sent on this road south of Gaza before the eunuch ever even left Jerusalem. He might have very well still been at Jerusalem when Philip was sent on this journey. And everything was timed so that Philip and the eunuch's paths, they intersect at such an opportune time that Philip was able to hear him reading and struggling with this passage in Isaiah. And that's the next thing I want to notice, the foreknowledge of God so that they would cross paths when, they were, when Philip was covering this study material. The passage he was reading just so happens to be a passage that is one of the most likely passages in Isaiah to, to bring a heart that is desiring to learn more of God, that is desiring Christ to bring him to Christ when understood in the correct light. You know, he wasn't reading from the beginning of Isaiah. He wasn't reading Isaiah 20. He wasn't reading Isaiah 15. We see it very distinctly. He was reading this passage in Isaiah 53. So when we think of all this, can you kind of put yourself in Philip's shoes for a minute? Maybe looking back after all this has happened, maybe he's on his way to Caesarea now, and looking back and seeing the hand of God, seeing the work of God, the providence, as he worked to bring together a soul who is willing to teach, desiring to teach, and a soul who is willing and desiring to learn. We have to think that that probably just boosted his zeal, picked up his spirits as he went on preaching. He was so, uh, I'm sure, on fire when he looks back and sees the, the work of God here. And we need to ask ourselves this. Are we taking notice of this in our own lives? This morning, why are you here? Maybe if, you, if someone's listening to this on a recording on the website, why are you listening to this message right now? We need to ask ourselves, are we possibly Philip in this position? Is God's providence working through us to bring us to some other soul? Or are we the Ethiopian eunuch? Is this message coming to us because there is something, some, some change that we need to make in our life? God, through the Holy Spirit, is constantly at work in bringing mankind to salvation. So the question we need to be asking ourselves is what are we going to do with that information? And that brings us to our second point. Philip had a response to this providence of God. He had a response, and that response we see is he took action. How many times did, did the angel have to tell him to go that we read in verse 26? It says that the angel told him to go, and he went. Is what we see. Now, now, kind of relate that to Peter. Peter, the number three, we talked about it in class this morning. The number three is really prevalent with Peter. Uh, we see that Peter was, was told he would deny the Christ three times, and he did. He was told three times, asked, do you love me? And he did. Now, over in Acts 10, again with Cornelius, three times Peter receives a vision to, to arise and eat that which uh, he considered unclean. And then on top of all that, he still had a commandment given to him by the Spirit. So that's four times we see something relating to, to Peter to go and to, and to take this message to the Gentiles. But we notice the faith of Philip one time. The angel said, get up and go. And he got up and went. That's slightly reminiscent to somebody. That's slightly reminiscent to Abraham. You think about that for a minute. Philip's in Samaria. And things are going good in Samaria. The gospel is being received. People are listening to him. And now God says, I want you to get up and I don't, I don't give you a certain destination. I want you to get up and I want you to head towards the road that goes to Gaza. Very, very 
obscure in his direction. Just, just go that direction. Go south towards the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. You've got to think for a minute. Philip might have thought, that, that where's, I'm going into the unknown. What is it you're asking me to do here, Lord? Just get up and go? When we think back of Genesis 12, verse 1, as we read, uh, as we've been going through Genesis 12, uh, the Genesis chapter in our Bible reading, in Genesis 12, verse 1, Abraham likewise, he's with his family, he's with his comfort in, in his father's land, and God says, I want you to get up and I want you to go. Go where? Wherever I tell you. I'm going to point the way you're going to go. And Philip, like Abraham, he put his trust in the Lord. He said, if this is what God wants me to do, this is what I'll do. In fact, he had the attitude that he would do whatever it took to fulfill the purpose that God had for him. And we need to ask ourselves this question. Are we willing to have a faith like this? Are we willing to to do more than just say we'll do what God says? Are we willing to say, and being here this morning we're saying, I'm going to do what God says. But Philip did so much more than say. He took action. He got up. He went. Are we in our lives doing more than just saying we're Christians? Are we getting up? Are we going? Are we living like Christ? The next thing that we see in this passage is he had a plan. Philip had tactic in his approach. We see the method that Philip used to facilitate spreading the gospel. Now we've already seen that that God sent him and he went. And interestingly, I want to notice that the path that he took the path to get him there, it brought him from behind the chariot. We can know this by verse 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. You don't overtake something you're in front of. You don't overtake something that you're coming towards. You pass something you're coming towards. Something that you're behind, you overtake. So Philip was able to approach the chariot from behind. And now we hear the the Ethiopian eunuch reading aloud. And so he is able to to listen, to spend some time, and to determine who it was he was dealing with. And he asked this question, do you understand what you are reading? He sought a little better understanding from the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, it's interesting to me that he didn't just come up beside the the, the chariot and uh, say, hey, sir... My name is Philip. I'm going to be preaching to you about Jesus today. Do you know about Jesus? I want to tell you about the the Christ and what he has done for you. We don't see that's the approach he took at all. How often today does it seem like we want to kind of take that approach? Philip goes up to him and starts where he's at. Says, Here's him reading the gospel and says, Can I help you understand? Do you know what you're reading? Do you understand this? And in asking this question, I said before, this question was very important, important because it's pointed. It is a pointed question. It tells Philip something very specific. First thing it tells him is, is this man interested in knowing more? This man, as you remember, was a man of great authority. He could have easily said to one of the other people, I'm sure in his entourage, I can't imagine um, a treasury of, of, of the Ethiopians riding alone. He could have said to one of these men, get this guy away from me. Where did, where did he come from? Get him out of here. You know, I, I'm trying to read. I don't need to be bothered by this guy. But he says, no, I, I don't understand. And we see he invites him up. But the second thing it tells him is it tells him what this man knows about Christ. Is this man a fellow disciple of Christianity like me? Or is this man someone who needs to know the message of Jesus? And asking this question, it points Philip to where he needs to begin. And we see that's exactly what he does. Opening his mouth and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus unto him. Again, we see an action on Philip's part. It says he preached. 
He didn't just stand by and say, oh, okay, well, you don't understand it. I hope you understand that someday. He enlightened him. He preached him. We need to ask, are we doing this today? Do we know someone who needs to hear about Jesus? Let me tell you something right now. This world is full of Ethiopian eunuchs. And I see a bunch of Philips in this room. We have an opportunity at the end of this week to be the Philip to a lot of Ethiopian eunuchs in this city alone. We have a gospel meeting coming up. Are we going to take the time to preach Jesus, to give the invitation to others that they would come? But the thing is, we need to take action. We don't need to just sit back and, and maybe they'll hopefully find Jesus someday. Maybe, hopefully, the Ethiopian will figure that passage out. We need to be like Philip. We need to take action. And unfortunately, today I, I'm, I'm afraid many aren't willing to take this step. They're not willing to take this step. Maybe possibly the reason why is because you feel like, well, I don't have all the answers to all these hard questions. People are going to have a lot of hard questions and I don't know the answers to them. I want to tell you that you, you don't have to have the answer to all the hard questions to preach someone Jesus, to teach somebody about Jesus. We don't see that Philip said, let me, let me start where you're at, but first let's talk about authority. Or he didn't say, let me start where you're at, but first let's talk about marriage, divorce, remarriage. He didn't start with these things that people oftentimes hard questions about. We can imagine the Ethiopian eunuch might have had some questions that, that I'm sure Philip could have answered, but maybe one of us couldn't have answered. The fact is, there are people here in this auditorium today that can answer hard questions. What we need to be doing is simply telling people, having a desire to go out and to tell people about God. We need to get involved. We need to take action. Something else I want to notice about in this passage is it says he preached Jesus unto him. We can know some things about preaching Jesus. In preaching Jesus, we can know that Philip would have taught uh, the Ethiopian eunuch about Jesus. It says he started at that scripture. We can almost put ourselves in that position. Just for a moment, think of the Ethiopian. as These passages that he was reading, and they were so dimly lit. They didn't make a lot of sense. But as he read them, and as Philip helped him along and taught him the story of Jesus, we can see these passages start to just gleam with the, the brilliance of a suffering Savior. Now, this morning, Logan led our minds in the Lord's Supper, and I'm so thankful for him for bringing that up, that we so often do think of the suffering Savior, and we forget about the strength that was shown uh, in Christ. But that's what the Ethiopian eunuch would have seen, excuse me, would have seen in these passages. That's what Philip was teaching him, was reminding him, look what, you, what he did. You see the humiliation. You see the suffering. He didn't have to do that. But he did because he loves you. And now the Ethiopian eunuch is starting to see this. And, and so the next thing we see is that they come to water and he says, what about baptism? How did the Ethiopian eunuch know about baptism? Philip would have had to not only taught him about the story of Jesus, but he would have had to taught him about the ordinances that Jesus put in place. If the Ethiopian eunuch didn't know anything about Jesus, it's highly unlikely that he knew anything about baptism for salvation. And yet, that's what we see him asking when water is, is approached upon. Peter, the same way, taught this. In, in Acts 2.38, he taught baptism for salvation. Philip, when he was in Samaria, would have taught baptism for salvation. We see that that was the end result there. And again here, 
He is teaching baptism with salvation. So let us be clear today, when we teach others about Jesus, we need to bring up baptism. We need to tell them the truth about baptism. In fact, we can be clear that anytime the gospel is presented and baptism is left out or is pushed to the side as something that you do later, that is a perversion of the gospel. And the next thing and last thing I want to notice about Philip is that Philip continued to preach afterwards. Philip, when we think about it, he's been in Samaria and he's, he's been instrumental in bringing the gospel to Samaria. And now he's went out and followed the Lord and went to Ethiopia and, and in, or into the Ethiopian eunuch. And very likely, the Ethiopian eunuch is going to take this on and spread others so, uh, to others at his hometown. So Philip has been a huge part. I've got a warning on here that my battery is about to die. So if it goes off, I apologize. But Philip has been a huge part in, in bringing the gospel to, to Samaria and the Ethiopian eunuch and to possibly Ethiopia. How likely would it have been that Philip could have been thinking, I've done a lot. I've done a lot for the Lord, and, and I'm really sticking my neck out there. People are dying because of this message, and, and I've been fortunate so far, and a lot of people have believed, but maybe I've done enough. Maybe I can kind of step back and take a break or possibly even retire. God will certainly recognize what I've done and will be appreciative of it, but that's not the example that we see from Philip. We see that he went on preaching towards Caesarea. Today, ask yourselves, maybe there's been a lot that you've done for the gospel of Christ. Maybe there's been a lot that you've done in, in, in spreading the word in the past. And maybe you kind of feel today like, maybe I can take back, sit back and take a break. Maybe I can let some other people come in and, and pick up the work. Maybe I can retire. And when I say retire, I'm speaking strictly in the spiritual sense. The message that Philip tells us is to stay at it to not give up, to not retire. There is work that we all can do and stay at it. Continue doing the work that is available to you. These are the things that we see in Philip's response. Lastly, I want to look at the things we see in the Ethiopian's response. I want to kind of switch roles a little bit, shift gears here. One of the first things we see, one of the first things that we can notice is that the Ethiopian eunuch was devout. He was devoted to God. As we talked earlier, traveled this large distance to worship God in a manner that was prescribed unto him. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch, more than likely when he got to Jerusalem, would not have been allowed to worship in the temple as the rest of the Jews did. More than likely, he would have had to worship with the Gentiles. And I'm going to imagine he would have been going home kind of scratching his head. This was not exactly what I was prepared for, maybe. This is not what I was expecting. And we don't see him losing faith. We don't see him doubting and, and well, I'm just not going to do this anymore. If they, they wouldn't let me worship in there with them, I'm done. No, we see him on, on the beginning of this long journey home. He hasn't, he hasn't gone very far in, in, in relation to how far he has to go. We see him open up the Word of God. We see him open up and start studying some more. As we talked earlier, he's studying out loud. He's reading with the intent to learn. We can also know, as we talked earlier, that he is a, a, at the very best ignorant of Christ, but possibly an unbeliever. Had he not been, he would not have needed someone to make the connection between Isaiah and 53. But most importantly are the last two lessons, I believe, that we can learn from the eunuch. And the first one is, he commanded his chariot to stop. He told the chariot to stop. When presented with the truth of the gospel of Christ, the eunuch didn't waste any time. He said, stop the chariot right now. 
How often today do we need this very lesson? How often today are we preoccupied with our life and we don't make the proper time for Christ? For those who are lost in sin, sometimes it sounds along the lines of, well, maybe after I graduate, maybe after I graduate, I'll become a Christian then. I have more time. Right now I've got to focus on on these studies. Maybe if you're in college, I've got to focus on finals. Maybe if you're in high school, I've got to focus on keeping my friends happy with me. and they, They might want me to go to parties. Now, I know if I become a Christian, I can't do that. There's so many reasons that someone might give excuses for why they will wait to become a Christian. Maybe it's, it's after you've been married and you have children. They say, well, maybe when the children are older. Because children certainly can be a distraction at times. I can tell you firsthand, my children can be a distraction at times. But maybe sometimes people say, I'll wait till they get older so that we can, we can not be bothered. We cannot be interrupted in worship. Maybe sometimes they say, well, after I retire, after I don't have so much time I'm spending on my job, then I'll have more time for Christ. And the fact is, there's always that, that desiring for more time, but it's never actually there. The time that we have right now is history, and tomorrow soon will be the same way. We need to take advantage of the time that we have right now. We need to stop our chariots right now. And that goes true for, for Christians as well. How many times do we sometimes say, I was so busy, I just I couldn't make it to services tonight. There was something going on in my life, and I just couldn't get there. Maybe it goes back with children again. My child has something very important. Maybe it's a sporting event. Maybe it's a school-related event. Uh, Maybe it's something that truly is important, something that's going to help them in in life and going on to college and getting a degree. And we say, that was just so important that I chose to take care of that instead of coming to services. Maybe it's my work. My work keeps me so busy, I don't have time to start a Bible study with somebody. I don't have time to do that because all my time is devoted to this job that I have today. None of these things in themselves are inherently wrong, but as Christians, we need to stop our chariots. The eunuch had a message for every one of us. He said, slow your roll. He was telling us to say, pump the brakes a little bit. Get your priorities in check. The second lesson that we receive from the Ethiopian eunuch happened after his baptism. He went on his way rejoicing. Picture for yourself what that might have looked like. What did that look like? I, I, in my mind, I always, for some reason, even when I was preparing for this sermon, I tried to find a picture of a guy, a silhouette of somebody jumping up and clicking their heels together and their arms in the air, rejoicing. Woohoo! Is that what that looked like, though? After I thought about that some more, I kind of pictured it. Maybe it looked more like this. Maybe the, the Ethiopian went on his way back into Ethiopia. And as he went on his way, he ran across somebody that maybe he knew. And asked him, how was your journey? You went, where'd you go again? You went to Jerusalem, right? He's like, yeah, I went to Jerusalem because that's what God requires for me to do, to worship Him. And I went there and it was, it was different, it was great. And I was on my way home and I'm studying from this book, uh, the book of Isaiah. And I get to this passage and this passage is so difficult. It's that passage that the scribes have a hard time with. Talks about somebody suffering humiliation and, and dying for the sake of the world. And, and I was having such a hard time understanding this. And I noticed beside me this guy running along. He says, he says, Do you understand what you're reading? I said, How can I? I don't know what I'm reading. This makes so much. The scribes don't even fully understand this. But he spoke to me like he, he knew something more about it. So I invited him up. And he went on to tell me that this, this Jesus Christ 
This guy came, Jesus the Christ. He was the Messiah. He came to this world and he died for my sins. And he died for your sins. And, and on that cross, he bore all that. And then he rose from the grave. He came back to life. And he, he was, went up into heaven to prepare a place for us. And, and, and he told me that if, if I would just simply submit myself to his teachings, that place was prepared for me. And so we came to water and he had told me this thing about water and about the baptism and how it washed away my sins. And, and you know what he did? He baptized me and now I have my sins forgiven. That's rejoicing. That's telling other people about Christ, about what Christ has done for you. I imagine the Ethiopian eunuch couldn't wait to share that story when he got back home. <clears throat> Can you begin to understand the joy that the eunuch was experiencing. Even as the writer neglects to tell us any more about it, everything else that happened to the eunuch is just strictly speculation. We can know nothing else about him. He leaves us with this note. He went on his way rejoicing. As if that's the last thing he wanted us to know about the eunuch, that he rejoiced after this encounter. And we can see reasons why Acts 13.38 uh, just a few chapters over, yeah, a few chapters over, we see uh, P- uh, Peter teaching here. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, that is Jesus, through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. That is why he rejoiced. He understood he had forgiveness of sins. As Christians, we should have joy in our life. Do you realize today what God has done for you? We should be filled with joy. And when we are, then then we will desire to tell people about Jesus. We will desire to be like Philip, to go because of what he did for us and because of what he can do for them. Dear friends, I tell you, we can all do better at this. I can do better at this. When we stop and think that people all around us are dying in their sins, the extreme importance of this command to go into the world and to preach, we can do better. <clears throat> we can do better. And I tell you what, it doesn't, it doesn't come across like this. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. You should come sometime. It's great. We, we, we have a lot of fun. And everybody gets along real well. And we, we take care of one another. It doesn't come across like that. That's not how we're going to do it. It's only when we truly have joy. When we truly can rejoice for the forgiveness of our sins. That we're going to be able to spread that message. To be able to tell other people about the joy that they can have. We teach this song to our children. I have the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. And I say, where? I say, down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I have the joy, 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 down in my heart, and focus on this last, ver- last word, down in my heart to stay. It's there. It's there for eternity. Let me tell you something. When we have rejoicing like this, it's going to show. I read a quote, uh, uh, countenance. Count- I didn't write it down. I should have. Countenance is, is a press conference your face holds to let everyone know the state of the union of your soul. 
I probably butchered that a little bit. But when we have joy like this, it's going to show in our everyday life. It's going to show in the attitudes that we have. But let me be clear here. Joy and happiness are two different things. Sometimes we kind of get the idea that, well, that person's got a lot of joy because he's skipping down the road and waving at everybody as they pass by him on cloud nine. That's not joy. That goes hand in hand with it. But joy and happiness are different. Happiness is external. Happiness is dependent upon your circumstances. Happiness is quickly replaced by pain, by anger, sadness. But joy is internal. It's down in my heart. Joy is in spite of your circumstances. Look at Paul. The man was in prison, but in Philippians 4.4, I lost it. In Philippians 4.4, he said, Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Joy, when it is deeply seated within our heart, it's there to stay. It can't be taken away from us. So do you understand now? Do you understand why Luke records this passage for us? Do you understand the message that, that is being presented to us? We have been given a magnificent reason to rejoice. Do you share that same joy? Do you share that same joy? Uh, if you are not a Christian today, I want to let you know that you can share that joy. Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth and He lived a life like every other person. He struggled. He had pains. And He was tempted. But He was perfect. He was blameless. And for that, because of His perfection, He was able to be sacrificed on a cross and He was able to bear our sins, my sins, your sins, so that we would not have to. He was able to do that for us. And this same man who died, he arose from the grave. He ascended into heaven, and he has prepared a place for those who will submit to him as the Savior and to submit to him as the Lord. Do you believe that? And if you believe that, are you willing to take action? Are you willing to do something about that? It simply requires obedience. To Him. Obedience to His Word. To repent of our sins. To confess that He is the Son of God. To be baptized for the remission of our sins. Today, we can stop our chariots. We can go down into the water, as the Ethiopian eunuch did, and we can come back up to newness of life. If you have done so, but in some way, sin has crept back into your life, has separated you from the Lord who paid so much for your, sin, or for your sacrifice. If there is some way that we can help any of you this day, I ask that you please come forward now as we stand and sing the song selection.